Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Sorensen, the contributor to Christ Hold Fast, and uh, the guy who does the devotions on Friday morning. I've had some technical difficulties thus far with my Wi-Fi, uh, but we're going to try it again right now and see if we can get through this. Uh, today, uh, we're back with our devotions through uh, the letter of Paul to the Colossian church. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 8, in which we saw the kind of church that uh, the Apostle Paul thanks God for. Uh, today, we're going to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul gives for this church. And it begins at verse 9, and we're going to take it to verse 14. And it reads like this. Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. End of reading. So Paul begins uh, a prayer. He, he basically tells them, these are the kinds of things I'm praying for you, you people in, Col in Colossae. And the first thing he, he says is, I want you to be filled with a few things. Uh, first of all, knowledge of God's will. Now, uh, if you think about knowledge of God's will at all, chances are uh, you have had at least a period in your life, or maybe you still do think, of something that's very mysterious and something that is very hard to determine. How do I know what God's will is for my life? And many of us have, I know I did when I was in high school, we've kind of led ourselves to do almost superstitious things to figure it out. Uh, so if I wanted to figure out God's will for my life, I would say, well, if I you know, make this piece of trash in the wastebasket right now, then that must mean that I should call this girl. Or if I meet this person, then that must mean that I'm supposed to get this job. And on and on it goes. Uh, the reality is, finding God's will is much, much more simple than that. Finding God's will is actually God's word. And so if you want to know God's will, you go to God's word. You go to the Bible. And essentially what Paul is praying for here is that I hope, my prayer is, that you'd know his word. But that's not all he prays. He also prays that with knowing God's will and his word, that they would be wise. Now, too often we are satisfied with knowledge alone. Uh, but Paul wants us as a church to go deeper. He wants us to have spiritual wisdom, as he says. Uh, and essentially, I think what that means is really the ability to apply the knowledge that we attain from God's Word into our daily life. Spiritual wisdom, you might say, is where the rubber meets the road. You see, it's possible to have knowledge of what to do, but not the wisdom for how to apply it. And so Paul prays for both. And then uh, thirdly, he prays that they would be filled with understanding. And that's similar to spiritual wisdom. Uh, it, it actually could be translated insight. So if wisdom is applied knowledge, understanding is sorted through knowledge. It's, uh, it's the ability to discern what the best decisions are. And frankly, uh, this doesn't look very mystical a lot of the time. This looks like taking uh, factors into account and making a decision based on the data that you have and then trusting God to guide you through it. 
It's much less uh, serendipitous than you may have thought, but nonetheless, it is indeed the way that God uh, often leads us. It's it's pretty uh, simple, but no, but we first go to the Word, then we try to apply the Word with wisdom, and then we try and have insight. And Paul prays that they that this church would have that, and then he goes on to tell us why. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, when Paul uses that word walk, uh, it literally just sort of meant to behave more and more in line with the teachings of Scripture. And what does this look like? Well, frankly, again, it may not look all that sensational or romantic. Uh, It may look like something amazing like forgiving your enemies or uh, doing something great for the poor. But you know what walking in a a manner worthy of the Lord looks like a lot of the time? Uh, It looks like going to your job and doing the best you can. Or it looks like uh, helping your kids with their homework or doing the dishes. Uh, In other words, when Paul talks about walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord with good fruit, good works, fully pleasing to him... He's ultimately praying that you would walk in such a way that would benefit your neighbor. And so with that, it's like, this is what I want. I want you to have knowledge and wisdom and insight so that you can walk in a way that, that reflects God's character. Now he moves on to the fuel for that walk, namely God's strength. This is in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, if you were to record the top five most used words in prayer language, uh, strength would have to be one of them. (laughs) We ask for God's strength to do everything. Strength for healing, strength for a job, strength for a difficult marriage, strength to rip apart phone books if you're John Jacobs and the power team. And according to the Apostle Paul, there's good reason for such a request. We need God's strength. Apart from God's power, we cannot walk a single step of the Christian life. Our sinful nature is a powerful enough foe that in and of ourselves, we can't even begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So so really what Paul is asking is the church be a people of dependence. The way we grow in the Christian life is not independence, but it is dependence. This is why when skeptics say things to me like, well, you know, Christianity is just a crutch, I say, No, it's actually way, way more than that. Uh, Apart from Christ, I'm not merely injured or crippled. I'm dead. Christ is my life. I need him every second of every day because I will blow it in and of myself. The Christianity is a, is a, a religion in which we boast in weakness. We boast of our need. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace, uh, Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, uh, that's sort of his his desire, is that we would be people that are... uh, that are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, filled with his strength. But yet this strength is not sort of like, it's not like spiritual steroids. It's not something that gives us a temporary boost. Um, but really, it's it's actually more like patience with joy. He, he, he goes on to say that, that it would it would give us endurance so that we would be able to walk with patience and joy. 
Now, if you think about it, those two nouns, patience and joy, don't usually go together in our world. Uh, we think that joy comes from having it our way right away. We're naturally pretty convinced that if we have to patiently wait for anything, our joy is depleted. But Paul says, no, no, this is the, this is the way that it, uh, this is what it looks like to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord, that you have this long-suffering and at the same time joy in it, joy in it. So how does that happen? Well, continuing in that vein, Paul gives a little hint towards how joy might happen in the midst of patient endurance. And he says this, give thanks. It has been said, I think by Cicero or somebody else way smarter than me, uh, gratitude is the mother of all virtue. And essentially Paul is saying something similar here. And I can tell you, after living a few years in this world, especially some of those years being a pastor, that um, the chief difference I see between joyful and unjoyful people is directly proportional to how thankful they are in their life. It's really true. Uh, those who have been uh, taught to expect everything to go easy or to go well, almost all of us modern Americans, unfortunately, I'm, I'm very much in this camp, uh, oftentimes have a very difficult time being joyful when everything isn't working exactly the way we want it to in the moment. And Paul says, none of the way to counteract that is to remember something, to give thanks, to give thanks to God who has given you so much. All right, so that's Paul's prayer. He's hopeful that these things will manifest in our life. But you might be saying, you know what? Uh, <laughs> when I look at myself, if I'm honest, I don't feel like I'm walking with great knowledge uh, or wisdom or understanding. I don't feel like I'm walking worthy of the Lord for sure, bearing fruit in every good work, not, not nearly enough. And I certainly don't feel like I'm thankful. I complain way more than I find myself thanking God in my life. So what then? Well, ultimately you're right. On any given day, there is some area in life in which this prayer is not being fulfilled in you. So what does Paul take you back to? Paul takes you back to what God does for you. I'm telling you over and over and over again, Paul is constantly bringing us back to the gospel. That's where the power is found to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The power is found in meditating and marinating on what God does for us in the gospel. The words immediately following all these hopes for our life to reflect God's character is to remember that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God is the one who qualifies you. He's the actor. The word qualifies means to make sufficient or render fit. In spite of our sin that should disqualify us from any good fellowship with God, he takes the initiative to run for us. He takes the initiative to qualify us in the race that is the Christian life. So often when we hear talk about the Christian life, we get this sense that God saved us, but then it's up to us to run the race. And yes, we do run, but it's not the way you think. Let me give you a picture. Let me give you a picture from the life of a guy named Rick Hoyt. Uh, Rick Hoyt uh, is, has cerebral palsy. And yet, Rick Hoyt uh, participates in triathlons. 
No, I mean, his body is, is twisted and mangled, but he participates in triathlons. How? Well, I'll tell you how. Um, Rick's father, Dick Hoyt, places him in a boat and pulls him for two and a half miles in the water. When Dick, Rick's father, bikes the 112 miles of the race in the triathlon, Rick is seated with him. And when Dick runs the 26 miles of the marathon, marathon, the entire time he is pushing his boy Rick to the finish line. You see, to qualify for our inheritance, we don't need to be Usain Bolt. We need to be Rick Hoyt, trusting in our father to bring us, to qualify us to the finish line. And when we see ourselves this way, who we truly are, we can't help but give thanks with joy. And so finally, Paul prays that we would remember how it is that God does qualify us. And in the final analysis, what he comes back to is God's work in Christ. We're told that he has uh, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, this is the gospel in a sentence. That is the good news. He has delivered us, God doing the verbs, from the domain of darkness, our natural state, and transferred us. He's taken us from one kingdom to another, the kingdom of his beloved son. And that son is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ's redemption, we have been completely bought back from our slavery to sin. Through his death on the cross, he declares it is finished, paid in full. He has lived the life we always should have but never have done and died the death we incurred because we could never pay it off. And this has resulted in exactly what we need, the forgiveness of sins. Again, notice the actor in these verses. It is all God, he qualifies us, he delivers us, he transfers us, he redeems us, and he forgives us. God is not our co-pilot in our salvation. He is the sole pilot. You are a passive recipient of the grace of God. All right, I'm not giving a devotion anymore. I'm preaching, so let me just close. In light of this, in view of God's mercies, based on his finished work for you and I, here's my prayer for us members of God's church. I pray, because we've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, that he would fill us with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May we be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father. Amen. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.